Dear Lord, just thank you for this morning. Um, thank you for this day to be together, uh, gathered together with the brethren, um, and just uh, here, Lord, at church, um, in this building, which we call a church, Lord, but it, it's really just a place to, to house uh, the believers, Lord, your followers, the body of Christ, as you've termed it, Lord. And um, we're just so thankful for the opportunity to be together and to um, just to be able to share with one another, to hear your word taught together, um, that we could discuss it, Lord, as we live out our lives, Lord, as, as the days go forward, and we can think about these things and, uh, and just give you all the glory. We pray that you would give us ears to hear, and we thank you and praise you. Amen. All right. Well, my name is Tim Long. Um, if you don't know, I think I know most of you in here. Um, at least I've seen you around before. Um, and so I'll be teaching out of Luke chapter 8 uh, from verses 16 to 25. At least I hope that's where I'm supposed to be because that's what I'm going to be teaching on. So um, <clears throat> if someone has their Bibles, and, and by the way, I'm going to just so you're ready so we don't have a, you know, the awkward silence the whole morning, uh, I'm going to call on you guys a lot. So be thinking, but they're not going to be like hard theological. I'm not going to ask you what the hypostatic union is or anything like that. Um, they're going to be just more applicational questions, things uh, from your own life uh, and just, uh, you know, how, how we kind of apply these things. And just kind of thinking through. I like to do that when I, when I go through the word and just kind of think about, okay, we learned this text. Now what? Now what do, I, what do I do with it? And what is Jesus? What's his point here? Because sometimes... Um, if you're like me, uh, there'll be things that Christ will teach us um, in the passages here, and you'll be like, hmm, like, that seems like a little bit of a strange thing to say. Like, why is, why is he saying that? But there's always a good reason. And so we want to know what that reason is. So um, participation this morning. So be ready to participate. Um, would someone read, uh, starting off in that vein, um, chapter 8 out of Luke verses uh, 16 to 18. So the first three verses there, starting in 16. No one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Okay, so kind of an interesting passage. We we have a few different uh, um, a few different messages going on here. Um, a few different things that Jesus is is bringing up. What are some of the the senses that he that Jesus is telling us to pay attention to? Some of our our five senses, or six senses, if you're one of those kind of people. Seeing and and. Hearing, yeah, seeing and hearing. Those are two important uh, themes uh, in God's word for certain. So um, seeing and hearing. So we see this uh, reference here to uh, a light, to a lamp. Um, you think of one of your, I, I, you know, back in the old days we had these mag lights. You guys ever seen those? I mean, there's, you guys have been around enough of you but now they have these I mean the lights are like teeny tiny you can get these lights that are like 10 times brighter than my mag light and they're just little things with the LEDs and all that 
Um, but the lights back then probably weren't quite that good um, as what we have today with the LEDs. But um, but you think of uh, what, what do you guys think? What did the lights kind of look like? Just to get a visual a visual in your mind about what these lights were that he's talking about. Yeah, like a little a little dish. I, I you ever seen Aladdin? Anyone ever seen Aladdin? So or read the story? Um, yeah, you got the little lamp. Uh, I, I kind of think of that. Um, in our house, we have a, a gravy boat that we only use like one day a year. Um, and it kind of has that shape to it with the handle over here and then, you know, the, the hole in the middle where you can pour the gravy or, you know, the, or the oil in, in the case of these lamps. I don't know if you want oil in your turkey, but, you know, hey, to each his own. Uh, but you put the oil in the middle and then on the end there would be a little wick out there. Uh, which would basically just be like a piece of rope or something or a piece of cloth that would be go down into the oil and then you, know, you would trim the wicks and you would light it and get it wet with oil and it would burn the oil through the wicking action uh, as it kind of sucks the oil up into the lamp. So it's this little lamp. Um, you, know, you think of the, the parable of the, the ten virgins and they had their lamps, you remember, and some of them ran out of oil and so they, didn't, they weren't able to see. And, you know, you know back then, um, without all the city lights, um, that was another n neat thing about the, the Big Bend hike is we were out there and there was no city lights. It was just dark. And you had the, we had the moon for a good part of the night and it kind of brightened it up quite a bit. It's amazing how bright the moon is when your eyes are, grow accustomed to the darkness that you have when there's no city light. So the moon was very bright. And I was, I was uh, out under the stars, so I was... Uh, um, Troy and I and, and Brandon were all well, cowboy camping, we called it, um, and uh, so no tent, so I was just looking up at the stars the whole night, so, um, so it's kind of neat watching the heavens go by and seeing the light out there, but it's very dark without a lamp, so you need, you need that lamp to be able to get around at night and to be able to see, and so that's what the lamps kind of would have looked like. What's the purpose of that lamp? Easy, yeah. Give us light so we can see. What does that represent for the believer? So, okay, that's an analogy. There's a point to it. Go ahead. Right. Yeah. And it would the that light um, represent wisdom. Represent any, anybody else? Any other thoughts? What is the light? Truth. Truth. Yeah. And we have someone read for us Psalm one nineteen, one hundred five. Or those of you that have memorized Psalm one nineteen, go ahead and just blurt it out. One nineteen, one hundred five. Okay, there you have it. I can't hear that verse without hearing an old Amy Grant song, but for those of you, yeah. <laughs> yep, that's, that's a good song. I like that one. Um, so Psalm, Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp unto our feet. So it's a lamp. It gives us illumination. It shows us where to go. So um, you think of God's word as being like that flashlight, and it lights up the path so you can see what you're doing. Because if you don't have the lamp, 
of God's word, then what are you doing? Walking in the dark, right? You're just stumbling around and running into things, stubbing your toes, stepping on uh, sharp objects. Um, out there in the desert, there's lots of sharp objects, and uh, you're going you're gonna to get pretty hurt. So if you don't have the light of God's word, you're going to be in trouble. Um, and how do we go about um, getting that light, that truth, out to the world around us, to those around us that, uh, that haven't heard it or don't know it, or maybe those that do know it? How do we go about getting it out there? Okay, you elevate it. How in like a practical way in, in your life do you do this? Do you do it? Sharing the gospel, okay. Getting to know someone? Who is that? Oh, okay, back there. Hey. Yeah, getting to know somebody. And then, yeah, walking with integrity. I mean, I think sometimes we kind of think about, you know, maybe go out under the square over here by the courthouse and blurt it out. And we've probably all, you know, seen people that have done that. Maybe, maybe you've done that. Um, back when I was in college, um, a couple of years ago, a um, couple of years ago, <laughs> um, we had a square, you know, and people would do that, and they would go out there and, and preach the gospel, and there was these itinerant preacher types that would come in and, and blurt it out. But, um, you know, I think for most of us, it's going to work itself out into our everyday life, isn't it? Do you have conversations with people about God's word, about the gospel? Okay. I mean, you don't have to necessarily raise your hand, but, um, but be thinking about that. Do you have conversations with people? Do you look for opportunities, like you mentioned, uh, you know, with friendships, to get to know people? Um, which, by the way, is hard to do if you're like a monk and you're living out, out on the hills by yourself. It's hard to share the gospel with people. <laughs> yeah, like Ted, way out there in, uh, where is that? Is that Brock or? Gordon, okay, yeah, it's way out. No one even knows where that is. Brock's a big city, that's right. That's the big, the, the big city out west. Um, so... So we think about how we can share with people in our everyday lives and, uh, and take those opportunities. So we'll always be thinking about that. It doesn't have to be a, a blurting it out on the square. Um, I think it mostly is going to happen as we talk to people, as we share things with people. People go through difficult times. Um, you know, they, they need help, and we can kind of share the truth of God's word. And hopefully most of what you share with people anyways and the advice you give to people in your family is based on God's word. Um, because what other, I mean, if it's not the word, then it's not light, and therefore it's darkness, right? So remember that. When we, we, we speak to people, it's just going to be darkness that we're giving them if it's not based in God's word. It's just going to be the folly of man. And by the way, if you've never done like a study of, of the fool in the Old Testament and Proverbs and Psalms, it's really interesting because the, the fool, it's, it's a, fool is a bad person. A, a very uh, God does not like fools, and so and you become a fool by being ignorant of God's truth and and rejecting it. And so the more we can learn God's truth and build it into our lives as we live, the more we will be wise and not fools. And that's what we want to be. So we think about um, kind of an <coughs> example 
of this, Paul, before Herod Agrippa, you know, Paul um, told Agrippa that Jesus had sent him into the world to open their eyes that they might, uh, may turn from darkness to light. So Paul practiced this when he came before people. Of course, Jesus did this in his life. In Acts 26, 18 there, it talks about Paul. He went out into the darkness to proclaim the good news. And uh, does any of you guys think the world today is a dark place? Or we live in Texas, and it's, it's the Bible Belt. Everybody here is a Christian, so this is a bright, wonderful place, right? Now, the world, the world, the more you know about the world, I think, the more you realize what an incredibly dark place it is. Um, and as far as going out and sharing with people, you know, in Reformed theology, which presumably most of us in this room adhere to, since um, the church here teaches Reformed theology, um, you know, there's a belief in missionaries from the olden days. Um, often, one of the things that encouraged them as they went in to share the, the light of the truth, to share the gospel with, with tribes and people that hadn't heard it, was the idea that they knew that God had elected some, and that gave them hope. So as you think of kind of missionaries today, the vast majority are probably Arminian, and they, their attitude is, if we share the gospel good enough, people will come, you know, and people will, will be saved. But in Reformed theology, thinking and tradition, actually many of the prominent missionaries of, of the past were Reformed, and um, they, they believed, hey, God's chosen some people here, so our job is to share the gospel, that it might go out, that those people that are elected will become saved, and so that was an encouragement to them. Um, so we see there going on in, um, in verse 19, um, someone read verses 19 to 21 for us. Okay, good. And by the way, just as we, as we move on from the first few verses, um, you know, I didn't have as much. There's a lot that we could say about those first few verses that I kind of didn't turn over the stones too much. But, you know, he talks there about, um, you know, the who to whom more will be given. Um, the one who has even what he has will be taken away and all that. And I didn't talk about that a whole lot here. Um, but uh, it is, you know, obviously covered in some of the other parables of Christ, and we'll, we'll talk about it more when we get to those. But also good things to, to really consider and really think about um, the things that Christ taught us in these parables. But moving on to this section, he's now talking about um, his mothers and brothers that came to him, and they couldn't reach him because of the, of the crowd. And so it's interesting his response. Do any of you find his response to this kind of strange or interesting? Yeah, it's, it, it's kind of a, 
I think it's a, it's a little bit, if we read what he's really saying here, it's a little bit shocking to our ears, probably. It's a little, it's kind of radical. Like, what? Your family's here, your mom's here, and your brother's. And, uh, and he kind of uh, goes further in some other passages about this, but um, that wasn't his priority. You know, his, those relationships, you know, and those, you know, we'll call the blood relationships, um, his blood family, that wasn't, and he made, makes this point uh, several times throughout his teaching that that, that wasn't his priority. Um, and it's kind of interesting, and it, it's something I think that sounds probably strange to a lot of us, um, because we think of our, you know, hey, our family, that's, that's it. That's everything. That's what matters. But I think he's kind of showing us something different here. Um, so, you know, it seems like he's kind of downplaying, you know, the importance of those other relationships. And what were the relationships that were most important to Christ? What did he focus on? The kingdom. And the, what is the earthly relationships? What was his? What was his priority? <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. His focus. Right. Yeah. His focus is on on his disciples and on those that are there to uh, learn and, and those that walk with him. And he makes that point um, about hearing the word of God. And is it, is it good to hear the word of God? Yeah, of course it is. But then what? What does he say after that? Do it. Do it. That's right. So many of us, any of you guys have kids? You ever experienced... Uh, you tell your kids to do something, and they say, okay, yes, Dad, you know, yes, Mom, I'll do that. And then they don't do it. It, you, it happens to you, too? I thought I was just a bad parent. But uh, <laughs> it's kind of amazing. Uh, somehow they just don't do it. And, uh, and that, that's, that's our natural tendency. You know, that's, that's kind of what we often do. We hear things, and then uh, what's the phrase? In one ear and out the other. That's right. It's a good phrase. I like that because it seems to happen with lots of people. <laughs> and we don't want to be like that. We want to hear it and then do it. You know, in between hearing it and doing it, you could also put in there, you know, understand it and, and figure out what it is. We hear the word of God. What is it that he's telling us? Put it into action. Do it. You know, which is one of the reasons I kind of like to, to think you know, as we think through these verses, uh, think about the application and what we can do um, in our own lives. So think about this, this passage, you know, think about your own life. Who are the most important people in your life? So who, who are the people that you value that, that are just the most important to you? How do you know who the most important person in your life is? It's always me. Is that, well, that's true. Yeah, we can start with that. Because of our selfish nature, it's always going to be us, outside of us. Yeah, I think the people you spend the most time with and people that you um, prioritize, you know, maybe in other ways, but there's, there's going to be, mostly, it's going to be the people you spend time with, um, the people that you talk to, you know, that you have conversations with. That's going to be the most important people in your life. And, you know, you know, by spending time with people, you know, we show with our actions um, the importance of them. And, 
you know, I've, I've known, you know, I, I think about the church here in the local body. You know, we all, of course, have, you know, our blood family, our, our relatives by, um, you know, by, by family relationships and things like that. But look around. We have, I can see all of you right now. It's easy for me. Um, but you look around and you see these people here, this group of people. This is the body of Christ. This is your family. And, um, you know, I kind of think about, you know, what, what is most important to you? Because I, I will tell you that I've known people in the church, probably you have too. Maybe you are a, a person that's this way. Um, <clears throat> but I've known people that don't have a lot of time for people in the church because their family relationships are so, there's so much going on, you know, and there, some people have big, fa- I don't have a big family, so it's never been a huge problem for me. And my family's never really lived close by to me either. Um, but I, I've definitely known people that value their family, their, their blood relationships over anything else. And, uh, and it, a lot of times it doesn't leave much time for the church. I mean, we all have limited time. You know, if you work, um, you know, in, in the house or outside the house and you work all day and uh, we're busy with things, we've got a lot going on, you know, running kids around and doing whatever, there's only so much time, only so much energy that any of us have, and, but are we, you know, uh, taking the time, are we valuing those in the church, you know, and, and prioritizing the body of believers that we have right here uh, in front of us? And so I think, um, you know, oftentimes we don't, you know, you think of, I think of the blood relationship um, idea as, I mean, that, how, does, how does the world operate? That's how the world operates, right? You think of uh, kingdoms. So like in the, the British monarchy, which is still around, um, what determines who gets to be the next ruler? Yeah, your lineage, your, your, your blood relationship. That's it. So what does that do for you if you're not in the royal line? You're out. You got no shot. Forget about it. And, uh, and the, the world does it that way. Uh, we think back in the Old Testament. Um, what did Israel clamor for as far as leadership? What did they want? They wanted a king, right? Why did they want a king? Because everybody else had one. It was peer pressure. I mean, that, that's way back thousands of years ago. It's the same things your, your kids say. It's really, to be honest, it's the same thing you do, too. We want to do things because everybody else is doing it. But was that a, a good thing for Israel? No. That's the, that was the way of the world, right? That's how the world did it. They did it by family relationship, by bloodline. That's it. And, and God knew that. And did God want Israel to, uh, to have a kingdom that way? No. And we see all the, the problems and all the things that it led to. I mean, God used it. And a kingdom can be a good thing if you get a good king in there. But it uh, seems like every time there was a good king, then what happened? Yeah, you get, <laughs> their children tended to be... Yeah, you're, well, you're right. The northern kingdom never really had any, any decent ones. At least, yeah, the southern kingdom had David, who was pretty good, and Solomon, who was, you know, he started off all right. He was wise. 
Um, and then it kind of went downhill from there. But um, there were there were a few good ones, you know, Hezekiah and, and a couple of a couple of Josiah, decent guys in there. But they always had children that were just real rascals, to use a, a polite word. But uh, um, yeah, that that whole idea that that method of governing is just fraught with problems, and that wasn't the way God wanted to do it. What was God's method? That he would be king, but the way he administered it in the earthly realm was through the judges, right? So he had the judges, you know, he started off with Moses leading the, the group, and then they would go to God for direction. But the judge the, didn't pass down by bloodline, did it? So the judges were just whoever God chose to be the judge. And so, um, but Israel wanted to go with that method, and that method, you know, is, is all built on your, your lineage, yeah, and your, your blood uh, relationships, but it's not the best way. So someone, uh, kind of a parallel passage to this one is in Mark um, 12, 46 through 49. Does someone read that for us? Um, Matthew 12, 46 to 49. Did I? Oh, okay. Well, Mark, M-A-T-T, Matt. Sorry about that. That's weird when you say the wrong thing, and you had no idea that you even said the wrong thing. It's like, I have no memory of saying Mark. This is recording, so it's going to be hard to get out of it. So Matthew 12, 46 through 49. Okay, so you see here this, this passage in Matthew is very similar to the one that we just read through, um, but he kind of, you know, goes into even a little bit more depth here because he says, you know, here, so he says, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And what does he do? Yeah, he stretches his hands out to his disciples. So, and that, and that doesn't necessarily mean just the 12. The disciples often means, you know, basically the group of people that's following him at that time, which could be, um, you know, different people. But it's his disciples, those that are followers of his. You know, are you a disciple? Are you someone, you know, a disciple is just someone that follows his teaching, right? The things that he teaches. Um, so are you a follower of his teaching, a disciple? But he says, here's the disciples, here's my mother and my brothers. You know, for whoever does the will of my father, there you have it again, in heaven is my mother, is my brother and sister and mother. So that, that is his family. That's what he's saying here. That's my family, those that follow me and those that live um, you know, according to his teaching. So, 
it's a it's an interesting concept you know and, and something like i said he mentions several places in that it's important it's an important thing for us to um to recognize that so someone um kind of going along in, in this theme of how Jesus viewed us, those that are followers of him, um, could someone read John chapter 15, verses 14 and 15? I did say John that time, didn't I? Okay. Whew. All right. Not James. Okay. So why does Jesus call us his friends? Mm-hmm. Are you glad that he calls you his friend versus his servant? Hopefully. Are you his servant? Yes. yes. Yeah. The friend has a personal relationship. And, um, you know, and he, he brings the, the point there that a friend knows the plans of the master, too, right? It's not, he's not just doing everything and just, you know, barking out orders. So probably you guys have all worked for people or been involved with people that do that, right? You know, you just bark out orders. As your parent, as your kids get older, you know, I I would recommend you know explaining things to them a little bit more rather than just telling them do this because I said so. Um, as they get older and they're able to understand more, it's good if you can. Not they still need to do it, but uh, it's good if you can explain a little bit more because then you're treating them more like a friend. But you know, Jesus says this here that we're his friends. To me, this is such an amazing verse. Such an amazing passage because does he have to consider us his friends? No. no, that's not required, but he does. So, and we are still his servants, right? Um, you know, and Paul used that term uh, bond servant quite often, doulos, which is, is just the word slave. You know, that we are slaves of his. You know, he, uh, he is our master, we're his slaves, um, but he calls us friends. And he includes us in his business. Such an amazing thing. Um, you know, when you think about friends, I think about friendships. And it's one of the most important things, you know, in, in life. Um, who do you spend the most time with in your life? Think of somebody right now. Yeah, that would be my answer. Spouse, my wife. That's who I spend the most time in my life with. More so than even my kids. Um, and you know... As far as that goes, my kids are going to grow up and move out one day, right? My wife is going to still be there, Lord willing, um, for my entire life. It's one of those only relationships that you have for your whole life. Um, but hopefully, you know, your, your wife or your husband is, is your best friend, you know, somebody you share things with. That's not always the case. So I've seen plenty of marriages where it's not the case. But hopefully that's the case with you and... You know, that's, that's such an important relationship, and we want to invest and spend time uh, with people. But outside of that, um, do you have other friends in your life, people that you hang out with and, and do things with? 
hopefully you do. And it's, it's such an important thing to invest in, you know, as I talked about earlier in the body of Christ, that we all should be friends and we should be talking to one another and, uh, and spending time with one another. Um, but there are, um, you know, there are some friends that, and people that will spend more time with than others. But, you know, look out there and, and be seeking that. You know, and I, I think of, um, you know, the friendships that I've made here in the church. And I, I think of the hike, going back to the hike again. There's a couple of you in here that were on it uh, at Big Ben. And the thing, you know what I remember about the hike the most? I mean, there was beautiful views, uh, incredible scenery. Uh, it was like walking through, I mean, just paintings and, and just scenery at different points of all the mountains and the view up on top of the ridge with looking down below at all the mountains and valleys. It was awesome. But that's not what I remember the most about that trip. What I remember the most is the conversations and, and getting to know people that I, I didn't really know. Spending time. I mean, you, you get to know people after you're out there in the wilderness for four days, um, all day, every day. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's kind of neat because as we were hiking along, there'd be somebody, like, right in front of me, and I'd be talking to them. And it seemed like most of my conversations were with the person behind me, so I was always, I never saw them. Like, I didn't even know what Chris looked like until the other day when he came over to my house because uh, he was always behind me, and you know, we were talking. And so, but... Um, <clears throat> But those conversations, those, that's what I remember the most. And I, it was, had good conversations with everybody. And, and many of those conversations, not that I'm, you know, great at this or anything, but a lot of times we'd be hiking along and no one would be saying anything and there'd be somebody right there. And so, you know, I would try and just strike it up and just start asking questions. And, and, and by the way, that's one of the greatest ways I think you get to know people is ask questions. Don't be the person that always wants to be talking and always telling them what's going on with you. Ask questions, and then wait for them to respond and listen to their response and respond to their response. So anyways, it, you know, it, it wasn't always free-flowing, but I you know, tried to take those opportunities because those kind of opportunities uh, can be rare, and it was great. I mean, it was just so neat getting to know people and talking about the church and talking about our relationship with Christ. So, um, <clears throat> you know, uh, and I think of, in the worldly terms, um, adoption. You know, in Ephesians 1.5, it talks about how that we're adopted into the family of Christ. And so that whole idea of family um, and adoption, and adoption is such, such a great thing. I think it's such a wonderful aspect of life. And it's, it's neat that God considers us part of his family through adoption. Because one of the things that is different um, between adoption and you know, just having kids uh, naturally is that when you adopt, you're, you're choosing, right? That's a, that's a wide open, you know, uh, eyes open choice. I mean, you don't always know if it's a, if it's a little baby what they're going to be like when they grow up, but, but still you're choosing to do that. And in the same way, God chose to adopt us. And so, you know, kind of like how we, you know, we choose our friends and we choose those people that we're going to spend time with. And, uh, you know, family is, is about that. And so, and, and family, why is family important to us? Why do I, you know, keep in touch with my mom and dad, my brother, the relationships with my children? It's kind of neat now. They're moving out, and, uh, um, you know, we're keeping in touch with them, and that's, that's a, a unique blessing. But the reason that, that that relationship is good and is a blessing, the reason I want to keep it up is really not because they have, you know, my DNA, you know, and they're descended from me, 
or my parents before me, it's because of the time that we spent together. It's because of the friendships that we have, because of the conversations that we have, the common experiences that we've lived out together. That's the bond, you know, it's a, it's a bond of friendship. So I mean, I think um, friendship is one of the most important things, you know, that we experience in this life, but that's what makes family, you know, good and what makes it to where we do want to spend time with those in our family because they're, they're usually, you know, outside of your wife, you know, your kids or your parents are be the people that you spent probably the most time with, um, or brothers and sisters as well. So someone read uh, back to Luke, Luke chapter 8, uh, verses 20 through 22 through 25, and we'll finish out in this section here. Verses 22 to 25 in Luke chapter 8, if you don't mind. Okay, so we see here, you know, he's in the boat. Um, they're going across the lake there. The storm whips up. So presumably this was the, the Sea of Galilee, um, the Lake of Gennesaret. There's lots, lots of names for it in the Bible and, and in history. Um, it's about 680 feet below sea level, making it the lowest freshwater lake in the world, which is just a little interesting factoid. Now you know. Uh, it's kind of cool. Uh, why is the, the Sea of Galilee fresh and the Dead Sea uh, is dead? Or I guess, why is, it, why is there life in the Sea of Galilee and the, there's not in the Dead Sea? Right, because the Sea of Galilee has an outlet, right? So it's not, you know, think about that for your own life. We want God's grace coming and God's teaching, but we need to let it go out or else we're going to just be dead. But um, so presumably this was a fishing boat of Peter, Andrew, James, or John, um, they, they apparently still own their boat. Um, and by the way, don't think of this as just like a little, you know, uh, what we used to call John boats or like a <coughs> canoe or something. It, it was probably a pretty good size fishing boat. Um, you know, might have had some sails in it, but they were able to, you know, get tack, uh, you know, and nets and all that kind of stuff in there. It was probably a pretty good sized boat. Um, so the, the sea there isn't that big. Um, when you think of like a sea, it's not, it doesn't, it's not like what we think of as a sea. It's, it's a lake. Uh, it's about 13 miles by 8 miles. So you can see across it easily. If you look at the pictures and stuff, you can see the hills on the other side and all that. It's not, have you, any of you guys ever been over there to Israel? One person. Yeah, I, I, I was going to go when I was uh, younger, not long after I was out of college. Um, and we had a trip planned, and I booked it and paid for it and did everything, and then they canceled it because they said it was uh, too dangerous. But <laughs> there really hasn't been any time in my entire life when it hasn't been, quote-unquote, dangerous. And I, I was thinking, well, you should try going to downtown Los Angeles sometime. But, you know, hey, that's another, another story, but never got to go. Um, but there's steep mountains all around uh, the lake there, and it can create violent winds. In fact, in 1992, um, there was 
there was 10 foot waves that, that swept into the town of Tiberias and did a significant amount of damage. So it, it can be a pretty violent uh, area, even though it's a small lake. So you see there in verse 23 that Jesus fell asleep. You know, he was fully human. He experienced hunger, thir thirst, and sleepiness. Um, but then this, the boat starts filling up with water. And, uh, you know, I've been on boats a fair amount. Um, and you're out there, and the waves start crashing down, and the water starts coming in. Would you, would you have been scared? Yeah, I probably would have been <laughs> pretty scared. I mean, you've got these big waves, 10-foot waves, or maybe even bigger, splashing over. I mean, it's not going to take much for that boat to go down. And the, the boat did, probably didn't have all the, you know, kind of the modern boats have all of these fancy uh, things on the deck to, to get the water to slosh back out into the ocean. Uh, it probably just was filling up. So, um, so they, they were definitely pretty scared. And then you see there in verse 24 that Jesus had the power to command nature, which, of course, they, were, uh, they marveled at. Um, and it was an amazing thing. He was able to tell nature what to do. And uh, only, only God can do that, of course. So, but Jesus kind of seems like he sort of chides them there in verse 25, doesn't he? He says, where's your faith? So why do you think he does that? Why does he hit them with that question? Where's your faith? They should have had faith, right? So... <clears throat> Anybody got any, any ideas real quick before we finish? You're focusing on your trouble. You're not focusing on who you're walking with. So yeah, and recognize, recognizing who Christ is. Yeah, and, and something to ponder that as, we, as you go out today. Um, yeah, yeah, saying, where is your faith? But, but they knew what the plan was. They knew, at least they should have known, that he was the Messiah um, and that he had come, and that they weren't all just going to die in a boat, and that was going to be the end of the story. So they, 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 he was kind of, I think, encouraging them, chiding them, whatever. You know, believe in, in his word. Believe in what he's told you. Have faith, because he is, you know, Christ has told us what's going to happen, and it's hard to do when we're in situations like that. But I think as we grow and become more mature, we should become, hopefully, less fearful you know, of death and less fearful of when things go wrong. And you kind of see that with Paul. If you look at Paul's attitude, he did face death and he faced some pretty harrowing circumstances and being stoned, but he did it boldly, you know, for the most part. And he recognized, you know what, God's in control and God is going to, uh, his will is going to be done. And I don't have to worry. I don't have to be anxious or scared. And, you know, of course, we're told not to be anxious in Ephesians 4. Jesus told us not to worry but to have faith in him, even though it can be hard to do. So the Lord knows exactly how long I'm going to live and the number of hairs on my head and all of that. Um, but there in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 8, you know, it says, The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray. Lord, just thank you for this morning and for the opportunity to uh, partake in your word and to think about it, to think about how to apply it. And May you just bless us as we go forth this day and prepare our hearts to receive uh, the teaching, Lord, um, from the pulpit this morning and that you would be glorified and may those things not be lost in us. May we remember them, um, commit them to our hearts, Lord, and, and then go out and practice the things that we were taught. Uh, Lord, we just give you thanks and give you praise. Amen.